You're listening to AM 1490 WWPR, Bradenton, Sarasota, Tampa Bay. And now it's time for Veracruz. Shut up and sit down. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another edition of Paraprobe. This is your host, Jack Nicholson. I'm kidding. It's me, Chance. So tonight, I'm going to be doing a show solo, flying free on my own, clothing optional. So tonight, we're going to be talking about... <laughs> well, okay, I got blue here, but we're not doing yeah, the clothing optional I was, thing. I was going to say, please. please. <laughs> say hi, Blue. Hi. There we go. That's the only response I get. <laughs> so tonight I'm going to be talking about haunted locations throughout the Tampa Bay area. Um, Tampa Bay is actually a very uh, a big hot spot for haunted locations. And also, too, this is going out there for my listening audience. If you want to share one of your favorite haunted locations, feel free. You can call the show at 941-745-1490. And once again, that's 941-745-1490. And uh, tell me about your haunted location. It doesn't have to be in Florida. It could be from wherever you're living at. I know i got people uh, all over the United States that listen to the show. So if you want to talk about your favorite location and some of the cool stuff that goes on there, then definitely give me a call and give me a holler. Uh, but i got to share something real quick. Uh, I actually, earlier this week, I got a major job offer uh, involving film. Um, because of my fascination and love for Jaws, I was uh, emailed, uh, or actually, I'm sorry, messaged on Facebook and contacted by Steven Spielberg, who actually wants me to be a consultant for a paranormal film. Um, I know that's crazy, that's insane, but it is true. Um, I know it's legitimate because, uh, you know, first off, he spelled his name S-P-E-E-L-B-E-R-G-H, um, and he wants me to bring $1,000 cash yeah, uh, so you know, to this hotel um, across town, um, you know, he's got a very busy schedule, so we obviously have to meet after midnight at the hotel. Uh, and I understand, you know, this is Steven Spielberg. You know, he's a major producer and director. You know, he's got to keep it low key, so it's going to be, you know, at a Motel Six. It's not going to be like you know, five star hotel like you would normally expect Steven Spielberg to stay at. And I understand, he wants me to bring the thousand dollars cash because. I got to pay his lawyer for the fees, you know, for, you know, putting together the contract for me to do this film work with him. Uh, and of course, I mean, it's Steven Spielberg and it's at a hotel. Of course, he doesn't want me to bring a credit card, you know, and that's why he wants cash. I mean, come on, people, you know, this is legitimate now. So, uh, so Mr. Spielberg, I'll, I'll be there later next week and, and I will definitely, uh, sign that contract at, you know, midnight. Have you heard from the Nigerian prince lately? Uh, any yes, that's actually that? how I'm going to fund paying that thousand dollars. Okay, well, that works. Yeah, yeah. I uh, apparently I got um, ninety-eight million dollars coming from me, but at first I have to make sure that I do give them all my information. You know, social security card, my you know my. Oh yeah, that's standard. Yeah, that's bank standard. account information because they got to be able to wire the funds. Oh yeah. So they got to have my bank information. So, uh, Mr. Spielberg, I'll uh, I'll definitely be hooking up with you. I'm looking forward to doing this film. And unfortunately, since just me and him in this hotel room, it may turn into a snuff film. I'm not sure, but, you know, we'll see. So, <laughs> Blue's over here going, let's not go there. <laughs> All right. So, like I said, tonight we're going to be talking about different haunted locations throughout the Tampa Bay area. And which is pretty cool because I did find a, uh, I mean, I've done a lot of haunted locations, you know, all over Florida and some from out of state, stuff like that. Uh but like Ebor City, prime example. It's so funny because I know a lot of business owners down on you know uh, the main strip in Ebor and stuff like that, and people are always telling me about these haunted locations they go to to do investigations, which is very hard to do because of how busy Ebor City is, especially the main strip there. I mean, everybody knows it's a lot of nightclubs, a lot of nightlife activity, so it's kind of hard to 
to go into a business, you know, after hours to do an investigation when you have the background noise of all the crowds walking by and streaming and partying, you know. Granted, it's a little bit quieter now, obviously, because of COVID, but, you know, I guess if you want to do an investigation, now would be a better time to go. It's a little bit quieter. Um, but one of the most ha- lo- haunted locations there in Ybor City that uh, that I've heard many, many, many people talk about, uh, including people who's invited me to go to these locations, is the Cuban Club um, downtown in Ybor. Um, it, it, I would say it probably out of all locations that I've known in Florida and people to talk about, anytime anything is referenced to Tampa, two ma- main locations always come up. It's always a Cuban club there in, you know, in Ybor City and also the Tampa Bay Theater, downtown Tampa. But at the Cuban club, uh, it was built in 1917 with a ballroom, cantina, library, bowling lanes, pool, and a two-story theater. Uh, there were two deaths dating back to the 1920s. Uh, Knacker died by suicide on stage, <laughs> which, man, that takes acting, uh, method acting to a whole new level. And uh, a member of a board was murdered during an argument. They are said to still appear in the building. But many people reported seeing a lady ghost in a misty dress that comes down the stairs. Uh, pianos will also play with no one around, and the elevators run at odd times. Others said that they see a young boy playing ball. Now, here's the thing. I kind of understand the other people that they claim had died there and seeing their spirits. You know, the the woman, you know, maybe she was somebody who was part of the theater or something like that. You know, the person who died on stage, I get that. And, of course, you know, a, a business manager who got killed in an argument. But the little boy aspect of it, I kind of don't understand. Like, why would there be a, a, be a child haunting that location? It just, I don't know. I mean, granted, I mean, it was a library at one time, stuff like that. You know, maybe a death happened at the library. Take your kid to work day? Uh, obviously, yeah, that could have been it, too. I, mean, I don't know. You know, but it, that's just really odd. It, I don't know, too. That's the other thing. With all the investigations I've done or even heard about from other investigators, any investigation that involves, like, a, a ghost child, I don't know, just creeps me out. It just really does. I'm not going to lie. I can, I've done some crazy, crazy investigations, you know, with, with known major haunted activity, you know, from objects being moved around, uh, you know, a, a ghost that would scream at night and stuff like that. But for some, but those never creep me out. But they tell me like, well, there may be a child who may come and want to throw the ball with you. Uh-uh. They're going to be on their own. I ain't playing. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I love kids, but no. It's something about a, a haunted ghost child just, I don't know, it really creeps me out. Um, and a matter of fact, also, too, with the Cuban Club, the Travel Channel named the Cuban Club one of its top ten most haunted places for all the different like, paranormal shows that have gone there and done investigations and such. That For them, it's one of their top ten haunted locations. So pretty interesting. And this is something else, too, i got to throw out there. I asked a future guest coming up. Prime example, next week I got Robert Murch coming on. Robert Murch is a end-all, be-all historian on Ouija boards. Uh, we're going to be bringing him on and speaking with him about the history of Ouija, uh, a lot of different theories on where it actually originated from. This guy has been a consultant on major films, you know, really like long-time running TV shows that involved anything with like a, a ghost-type presence in the film or on this episode of a TV show. Um, he's been a consultant for, I mean, his list just goes on and on and on. So we're going to be bringing him on and talking about Ouija boards and the history behind them. The following week we have our good buddy, (laughs) which can't wait to bring him on, uh, Mr. Ken Boggle. Um, he is a tarot reading extraordinaire. Uh, the guy is very, very, very accurate and spot on. Uh, he's done a lot of readings for, very influential and important people, uh, down to little old people like me. So it's pretty cool. So can't wait to bring him on. We also are going to be starting to spotlight paranormal teams. So if you're interested in talking on our show about your paranormal team, about their, maybe the way they do their investigations or investigation locations, uh, shoot us an email. Shoot us an email at paraproberadio at gmail.com. That's paraproberadio at gmail.com. And let us know about your team. Let us know why you think that we would be interested in talking with your team. And you could, you know, if it, if your team pretty much does standard investigations like everybody else, but you have a really cool location 
you know, feel free. We'll talk about that too. You know, you reach out to us. Um, <clears throat> I know a lot of paranormal radio shows that all they want to do is talk to celebrities. And honestly, it gets kind of old. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, beat around the bush. And I, I mean, <laughs> I know I have, yes, some paranormal celebrity friends and such. And it's cool to talk to them and keep the masses up to date on what they're doing with their shows and everything else. But this show is about the paranormal. And we're wanting to talk to people. As a matter of fact, you don't even have to have a ghost hunting team. It could be a UFO team. It could be a Bigfoot hunting team. If you want to come on our show and talk about the investigations you got going on and your team, please email us at paraprobradio at gmail.com. And we'll, uh, we'll set you up and we'll book you and bring you on. Because this show was built to give more of a voice for the paranormal community. Because, there, yes, once again, I know there's paranormal shows out there. There are a dime a dozen. There's a ton of them. I'm no more special than any of them. But, however, we are very, very well known in the central state of Florida. You know, uh, we do actually have a really good-sized, decent following. And we want to be able to get your team out there, you know, and, and get some exposure. Let teams actually start exposing themselves to each other. That's what we want. And we want it on camera. No, I'm kidding. Uh, we want teams out there, you know, sharing their information, you know, building a bigger, better community in the paranormal. I know everybody talks about that, uh, this whole para-unity thing because there's teams always arguing and bickering. I can tell you right now, there's never fully going to be para-unity. There's always going to be differences. There's always going to be conflict and always going to be arguments no matter what you do. I don't care if you do underwater basket weaving and you weave from right to left. Somebody come on and say you have to do it left to right. There's always going to be somebody arguing about everything. So, but with that being said, I still, I want to, you know, get teams out there. I want them to feel like that, you know, all these other paranormal shows just want to talk to like Jason Hawes and Ghost Hunters or, you know, or, you know, or Ghost Nation now, you know, Grant Wilson, stuff like that. No, I, I want to talk to the normal paranormal people out there. I got tons of paranormal friends that you know, I want to talk to on our show, you know, and share your information. You know, who knows? Maybe I might land you, uh, land you an investigation that is the like dream investigation you never had before because somebody had me listening to the show. They heard about you. They want to check your team out and have you guys come in. Now, also, too, besides us being on 1490 AM, we also are on, I just, I just drew a blank, I swear to God, Amazon Music, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Pandora, uh, Spotify, pretty much wherever you get your podcast shows, you can hear our show. All you got to do is just type in Paraprobe, and we pop up. You know, I'm, never mind, that's too easy of a joke, I'll keep moving on. Um, so, yeah, if you want to check out our show or even past shows, Please go to iHeartRadio, Pandora, any one of those, put in Paraprobe and check us out. And feel free to follow us. You know, feel free to like us. That's how we build our audience and get it bigger for everybody to listen to you. So, anyways, with all that being said, we're going to move on now. I got all the information out of there. I wanted to share it more towards the beginning of the show, but I got wrapped up in my excitement for working for Steven Spielberg. So, uh, let's see here. There is also a drunken Cuban ghost at the Florida Brewery Company. Uh, it is now the Swope. Um, in Redonte, Pennsylvania, on East 5th Avenue. But the first night it opened as a bar, there was free beer. Of course, the fight broke out, and a man was killed when he hit his head. Now the drunken man can be heard talking in Spanish and walking around in the law firm's building at night. The story is that he uh, fought over a beer and still hasn't let it go. Okay, I love beer. I I love margaritas. I I you know I I'm not an alcoholic, but yes, I'm like every other guy out there. I like a nice cold drink, you know, and, and plenty of women out there like a nice cold drink. Not enough to die over. Not enough to get into a fight about. If if I'm in a bar and you accidentally pick my drink up and take a drink of it, I'm not going to sit there and go, "Hey, you drunk my drink," and you know, get into a ball, you know, big bar fight. No. I'll just go buy another drink. I'm not that worried about it. It's not worth me getting killed over a, you know, $5 margarita. Just not worth it, you know. Um, now, at the Old Tampa Book Company at 507 North Tampa Street, used to be a tailor storefront. The bookstore owners kept the chairs from the old shop, and now they are said to move on their own. And I've actually heard about this, too, from another team that actually did an investigation there, and they said it was true. They, uh... They had investigated this location multiple times, and uh, out of, like, say, 20, there was, like, twice that they actually did catch movement with these chairs. 
Um, and they also found a pair of bloody scissors um, on the floor. Passersby who said they took pictures of the shop see a man in a top hat and a woman who seems to be in pain. Okay, so let's kind of do the deductive reasoning here. Moving chairs, man with a top hat, woman in pain, bloody scissors. If I'm doing deductive reasoning, I would say that maybe the haunt is maybe the man and the woman knew each other, or maybe they didn't, got into a scuffle, he stabbed her with scissors. She fell across these chairs and died. Maybe that's what's going on. That's why the bloody scissors were found or seen, and this woman in pain, and this man in the top hat, and the chairs moving around. Um, there are there's different levels of haunts. You have everything from an intelligent haunt all the way down to what's called a residual. A residual is basically kind of like, imagine taking a clip from a movie and just playing it over and over and over again. So all of us have heard about that story about like this, you know, this one street during a certain time of year, heavy fog will roll in and you see old man, you know, Buttermane walking down the road, you know, in the heavy fog on those evenings. That basically is a residual haunt. It happens all the time, repetitively. People have tried to investigate it, but it never seems to realize that that, you know, somebody's there looking at them and investigating them. So there's no interaction whatsoever. So it's basically like a film, just playing over and over and over. There is no interaction. It doesn't try to interact with the individual. Like they, uh, I've heard of a circumstance. I don't know if this is true, but a investigator had a location where they were investigating a home that this one woman would always walk across the yard. He actually saw her one night. He ran out there, stood in front of her, and it walked right through him and kept on going. And that would basically be a residual haunt. There is no interaction. It's oblivious that someone is there. Like I said, it's just like a movie playing itself over and over again. Now, however, if the woman would have already said or all of a sudden looked at him and went, excuse me, and stepped around, okay, now you got an intelligent haunt. That means it has intelligence. It knows you're there. It's interacting with you. So that's the difference between the two. This, to me, honestly, sounds more like it's probably going to be a, I would say it's going to definitely be a residual haunt because it doesn't seem like there's any interaction because I have read more articles about that, that particular place. And all the stories I've read so far with other investigators said nothing's ever interacted with them, but people do keep seeing these individuals there. But they seem to be oblivious to anybody's around. So I'm thinking it's a residual haunt and it could be a residual haunt of the murder. So, I mean, it's just my personal opinion. I don't know. I'm not a genius. I didn't investigate myself, but we'll find out. Um, hold on. So, okay. So, sorry. I just got a message from someone who said they wanted to call in the show here in a little bit. So, they are more than welcome to call in. Uh, moving on to our next location, uh, which I want to talk about, is the Tampa Bay Theater. Because I love that location. It's an awesome place to investigate. Um, for the Tampa Bay Theater, I can definitely say that if you ever get a chance, and there's uh, our, our buddy Jeremy Reddick, who owns uh, Genesis Paranormal Services, which me and Jesse from the show are a part of. Um, anytime he's got an event going on to do an investigation there and they open it to the public, I highly recommend get tickets and go. I don't even care if you don't believe in the paranormal whatsoever. It's just a very, very cool location. The aesthetics are beautiful. The architecture alone on the inside makes you feel like you're outside. You know, they, and what I think is really cool, like they have this one section where they, uh, you know, a part of the theater where they serve like the popcorn and the drinks and all that. But it's real old teak wood, all designed out, the bar and everything. Even that is just beautiful to look at. So I highly recommend definitely take one of those tours. Or when they open up and they're doing movies again or plays, you know, and all the different types of entertainment that they provide, you definitely want to go to Tampa Bay Theater. It's very, very cool. But sticking with the paranormal for tonight, we have definitely done multiple investigations there, and we have definitely have experienced quite a few things at that location. Um, a good buddy of mine, uh, his, well, I don't know if I want to talk about his, his, okay. I don't, his name's Sean. That's all I'm going to say about him. His name's Sean and he has up to date gear. We'll put it that way. The reason why I don't want to share too much information because I actually have him coming on as a guest later on in the future to talk more in depth about it. So I don't get too much into it. But some of the gear that he has is what the ghost hunting shows purchased from him to use on the shows. Nice. It's that kind of gear, yeah. top end, right? 
So he has lent us multiple pieces of, of tech equipment to try out these investigations. Like there's one in particular that uh, like you hear like an investigation where people have talked about, yeah, if you go in this old house, you'll hear the footsteps going down the stairs at nighttime. These sensors you can put on the stairs, one, will light up and make an alarm, audible alarm for you to hear it if there is movement on the steps yeah. uh, from vibration. But also, too, it works almost like a nighttime sensor for your light. It will pick up movement as well. So even if there's not a physical pounding on the steps coming down, but there's an audible sound, if anything passes by that sensor, it will actually light up and let you know that something is there. Tampa Theater. We had chair 308 that we talked about last weekend when Jeremy Reddick was on. Um, there was a gentleman that has been spotted multiple, multiple times sitting in that seat from many different people, not just people who work at Tampa Theater. We're talking about, like, uh, audience members from movies, you know, who came in to watch a film or a play, stuff like that. And they were like, yeah, there was nobody in that chair next to me for, like, half the show. And all of a sudden, I looked to my right, and there's this guy sitting there out of nowhere. And he had, like, these old-timey clothes on. I said hi to him. He just got up and walked away. didn't say a word, but he, like, just disappeared. So... I had this thing in that seat, and I started talking about the gentleman that we, you know, because nobody knew exactly his name or who it is that sits in the seat. And sure enough, the equipment started lighting up and st- and picking up vibrations coming from that chair, that there was something physically touching it and, and moving it. Um, out in the lobby area, uh, there was a person who they believe got injured on the outside, stumbled into the lobby area, and this is decades ago. Okay, this is any time recent, so it's not like a dangerous area. This is decades ago. This gentleman, I believe, had gotten shot, I believe. I forgot off the top of my head the story behind it, but they stumbled into the lobby area and died right there at the lobby area. So there was a point when we had that meter set up, an EMF detector, and a couple other pieces of equipment in that same location, and we were talking about that particular moment and that particular incident, and the crazy part was, all of a sudden, everything lit up. The the EMF detector lit up. We had in, uh, a K2 that lit up. We had, which is basically an EMF detector. And for the audience out there unfamiliar with the whole, you know, uh, lingo of paranormal equipment, a EMF detector is electronic, uh, or sorry, electromagnetic field. There is a very strong theory in the evolution of paranormal investigations that. Sometimes when a haunted event happens, such as an object being moved or they see an apparition, something of that nature, that sometimes an EMF field will build all of a sudden right in that spot when it happens. And like prime example, we've had situations where an EVP, which is electronic voice phenomena, recording happens. That's where we have a recorder sitting there. We're asking basic questions to try to make communication with something or someone out there. All of a sudden... The EMF detector lights up really, really high, right? It just, it just redlines. Later on down the line, we start listening to the EMF detector. I mean, sorry, listen to the EVP recording. You hear our voice, but we never heard anything audibly while we're there. But when we play the recording back, all of a sudden we picked up a voice in that spot. And it was responding to the question we asked. So this K2 lights up, the CMF detector lights up, you know, the other piece of equipment. <laughs> I'm sorry, Sean, I don't remember the name of it, but it lit up. And uh, the crazy part was, was right when that happened, the temperature gauge gun that we had, the temperature dropped by about 20 degrees right in that spot. And let me give you a little bit of science for a moment. And we're talking about real science. In any given room, there are pockets of temperature changes all over. So you can't gauge a paranormal investigation of it being paranormal because of a temperature difference. But however... With that being said, those temperature, the temperature drops or going up, you know, the, the changes in the temperature, sometimes they're only about maybe 5 degrees, you know, maybe max 10 degrees. When you're all of a sudden going from, like, say, 72 degrees room temperature, 72 degrees to all of a sudden 50, and it's, like, instantaneous, and it's only in one little spot. Okay, it's maybe starting to lean a little more towards the paranormal. Yeah, like I said, yeah, <laughs> like I said, you're you're gonna have different you know levels of changes in, in a room with with air conditioning because of air currents and everything else that pass around the room. Uh, same thing with EMF fields. You're gonna have EMF fields all through a house or a building or whatever when you're walking around. This is why you do a walkthrough with your equipment and gauge 
where you have yeah get a baseline reading for your EMF locations and where they're you know you're getting spikes or when it's a dead zone. So if you know you have a dead zone, you've been did your baseline check of that room. The EMF never went off, no nothing, multiple, multiple times. You have it sitting there, you're doing an EMF, you know, or an EVP recording, and all of a sudden this thing jacks up to, like, red line. Good chance maybe there might be something about to happen, you know. So it, it it's not a guarantee, but it's a little helpful piece of equipment and a little warning sign, you know, to kind of gauge things by. Um, the other thing is, too, that in the Tampa Bay Theater, uh, there was a guy who worked the uh, projection room. Um, he had passed away, um, didn't pass away at the theater. You know, there was a big rumor that he died at the theater. No, he actually wasn't feeling well. He went home. He died later at home. But however, this guy, he loved the place. Um, he was always there early all the time, you know, spent all of his free time as much as he could at the theater and up in the projection room. He's a guy who ran the projection room and everything. And so in the projection room, it's crazy because it, there are people who have visually seen a full-body apparition walk through the projection room, and they knew there was nobody in that room. They they literally walked in to see who it was. There's only one way in and one way out of that room, yeah. and nope, they were the only one in there. And they and it wasn't just one. If it was one individual, I could mark it up as mind playing tricks on you, you know, because yeah. uh, you got to rule out the normal before the paranormal. But when it comes from like twenty different people who don't know each other <laughs> at different times, okay, you start leaning a little more towards, you know, that, yeah, there's something going on here. So that's another one uh, for a very strong location up there. Uh, there have been people spotted in the actoring dressing, uh, the actor's dressing rooms and stuff, um, which is pretty crazy. Uh, another room that is one way in, one way out. The manager's office, too is upstairs on the second level. <laughs> yeah, because the manager freaked out because they opened their door and somebody was sitting there. They they thought they were the only one in the building. Slammed the door like, holy cow. Backed away from it and all that. Just getting ready to call the cops. They opened the door. Nobody there. They saw the individual standing there. Boom, gone. Time to go home. <laughs> I'm going to go to bed now. All right, we can just wait till tomorrow to finish that paperwork. It's like, yeah, I, I think we're done on this one. Um, now the other thing is too, um, with the, you know, the, the gentleman who died and they believe is haunting the location. Um, he also, he was a smoker and there's multiple times when people have been near the projection room to all of a sudden smell cigarette smoke out of nowhere. Yeah. Now here's my thing. And I'm glad that I actually read about that in there. Smells can trap themselves in paint and everything else. For years, I worked at a paint at, at Home Depot in the paint department, mm -hmm. and all the time, people were asking about how to get smoke out of their walls. Like fifty oh, absolutely. years old house, no one's been in it, still smells like smoke. Like my mom and dad's old house. My dad, uh, after he passed away, it was you know sometime after that when my mom had moved out, and my dad was a, a smoker. He smoked in the home. Um, I remember going over there well after he had passed away, and still smell oh, yeah. cigarette smoke you know all in the air and in, in the house and i'm a smoker you know and but i'm not a heavy smoker like him but yeah. you know I, I even i could walk in and go whoa you know it was strong and i mean i helped my mom clean that place top to bottom still smell it oh, yeah. so that's another thing too with some of these locations when people talk about they uh you know they <laughs> you are allowed to smoke in there too so it wasn't like now where they have like you have to be this far away to smoke yeah. yeah yeah now um now today you can't do it you know but back in the day you could so oh, yeah. there was many many people who come in there and be watching a movie and light up a cigarette and all that you know back in the day um but like there's people that you know from ghost hunting teams that talk about phantasm smells. You know that's like these random smells that pop up. Like, oh, that was great grandmother Rosie's uh, rose perfume. You know, we we recognize that smell. But at the end of the day, you have to remember these smells do get trapped in paint. They get trapped in ceiling tiles. They get trapped in the wood. And all it takes is a certain vibration of you walking through the home that could maybe make that one little split that that smell actually escapes. That's been it could have been in there for like you know five years. Yeah. You know, and you smell it all of a sudden. It's the same thing with sound. There was an investigation a long time ago. This house 
this woman said that uh, they started doing construction near her home. And ever since they started doing construction, she and her husband and even her kids would hear voices in this home um, at all hours, day and night. And these voices would pop up like in the bathroom. It would, you know, they'd hear somebody talking in the kitchen, so on and so forth. So they brought in a paranormal investigation team. And this team was like highly recommended. They very much were about science and they were very much about debunking. You know, they were, they were more skeptics than they were of believing in ghosts. Yeah. So they go to the location, they start investigating. And one of the people randomly decided because he found something on the ground, they needed to do a check of the grounds. They found out that underneath this home was a very large crystal base. Oh, okay. There was a huge formation of crystals that was near the bottom of or underneath this home that was like in this like little like little cavern, right? Yeah. What was happening was whenever these heavy trucks were driving by because of the vibration, here's the thing, a crystal can hold the frequency of a voice all kind I mean we use it in actually yeah. recordings. Yes. <laughs> all right, it can hold it for a millennia. It just takes the right vibration to release it, and that's what was basically happening. Yeah. The, the heavy trucks would go by, the vibrations would you know hit just right. These crystals were re- releasing sounds that, that had been trapped for God knows how long, mm-hmm. and that's where it all was coming from. So there was no manifestations of all these spirits, because you know, they said it sounded like a subway at times, like all these people, voices just showing up out of nowhere, like an audience. Yeah. That's all it was, just yeah. trapped sounds getting released. Uh, so. Uneven ground is another big one too. Like it's like, oh, the door got stuck. Like, is half your house sinking? Cause, <laughs> you know, that can also do it. I uh, I gotta, I, I gotta go ahead and answer this person back on yeah, on, yeah. on text messages there. Oh. There, I answered them. Now they'll be happy. <laughs> All right, because they keep bugging me. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> They're not bugging me. So. The other one is the Sunshine Skyway Bridge. Of course. Of course. (laughs) course. Everybody knows about the Skyway. (laughs) In the state of Florida, and I can't guarantee that this is a fact, but I can't say it's the highest rated one for people go to to commit suicides, but it's definitely a premier location for people in Florida who commit suicide. Um, The bridge is like over 400 and something feet off the water. The likelihood of you surviving is very nil. I think out of like 20 people who would jump, maybe one may survive out of 20. You know, but even then, they're they're done. They're they're physically screwed up for the rest of their lives. Yeah. Um. There has been multiple incidents that have happened with the Sunshine Skyway Bridge. Everything from a you know people obviously committing suicide, and I know one story in particular about this woman who wears denim shorts, wearing a white T-shirt. That many people have reported, not just ghost hunting teams, I'm talking about just people in the news, everything else that reported. Be driving across the bridge, see this woman walking, soaking wet, shivering like she's freezing. They stop, she hops in the car, they said she's just as solid as you and I. It's not like what you see in the movie is a ghost apparition you can see through, nothing like that. They, like a real, you know, 3D person, right? They're driving down the bridge, by the time they get to the bottom of it, person disappears out of the car. Yeah. Not opening the door and stepping out, <laughs> they just disappear. And it's always this blonde woman, white T-shirt with denim shorts that they keep describing over and over and over again. And I, I have. I've heard of multiple reports on that one. So if it's late at night, you come across the Skyway Bridge, and you see a blonde walking with a white T-shirt, soaking wet, wearing denim shorts, Okay, just in case it is a real person who may have broken down, you know, if you want to give them a ride, go for it. But just remember, if you get to the bottom of the bridge and they disappear, well, you'll know who it was. So another part of it is, too, is because of our major accident we had with the Skyway Bridge, you know, years ago when the center span had dropped and a bunch of cars, and including a bus, had went off the center span. The the height of that drop, like I said, again, from the center span is like well over like 400-something feet. Um Inside a vehicle going off from that height, yes, if you're seat belted in and everything else, there is a very strong possibility you could survive the impact when you hit. You could. You know, it's, it's not There's unheard of. You and- yeah. Um, but however, not being buckled in or anything of the nature, you know, or depending on how the vehicle lands, yeah, it's a very low case that you're going to survive. So when this happened, there has been people that have said that they thought they have seen like phantom cars be driving in front of them. They're coming over the bridge right behind them. Mm-hmm. 
And when they get to the top, which you've been across the Skyway, you have yeah, a very a long view you know, out in front of you. It's not like they can make a turn off and disappear. Yeah. They come over the bridge right behind the vehicle, and when they get over the bridge, that car's gone. Mm. Just disappeared. Mm. And they, like, for half a second, they freak out, jamming their brakes, thinking the bridge fell apart again yeah. because this car disappeared. And they look, no, the center span's got gone, the car didn't drive off the bridge. And I forgot the distance of this bridge, but it's, like, at least a couple miles long. Oh, yeah. So you have this couple miles view in front of you. Yeah. And so there's no way the car could, like, just gun it and outrun you at that point, and you just didn't see it. No, no the car it. literally just gone. It. Yeah, just disappeared. That one... It kind of reminds me of a cop chase that happened, I believe it was in Macon County, Georgia. A police officer on his dash cam, and they still call it the devil's car. Hmm. This dash cam, this cop is in a high-speed pursuit, chasing his car that came through a neighborhood recklessly speeding, right? Yep. Gets him behind him, hits the blues, they take off. This goes on a run for quite a while of him chasing this car for a few minutes. Now, in a high-speed pers- pursuit, even three minutes seems like forever, right? It finally gets to a point the vehicle just makes like a, a sharp like turn, and the cop is right behind him. And when he makes that turn, there's a fence, and the car's on the other side of the fence driving. <laughs> and it wasn't like there was, nope. yeah, like and it's a like they investigated this. It's a solid fence. It wasn't like a pop up or a spring over or anything like that to make it be able to shut really quick behind this it car. Was actually, Inspector Gadget, he hit the button. <laughs> I guess something. But this, yeah, literally, this this cop like slammed on his brakes and almost like rammed into the fence, and you can see the the taillights of the car in front of him and, and the fog and everything just gunning it and taking off. Um, there was actually a location that I went to with my cousin up in up in Burnt Mountain, Georgia. There is a house up there where allegedly this murder had happened, and you know the old yeah. scary story you hear it in like every neighborhood. But he told me, yeah, on this abandoned property, the reason why it was abandoned was a family, you know, one of the people turned on the others and killed everybody and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And uh, you can see them drive their car and escape at nighttime. You know, you'll see them come out and get in their car and, and drive down the hill. Yeah. It. So I go out there with them to check this out. So we're at the fence, and I hear a car start up. Now, mind you, this is abandoned property, right? Yeah. I hear a car start up in the distance, and I'm like, yeah, whatever. No. Nah. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. And if there is a car, it's probably one of their friends, you know, just playing a joke on me, right? Yeah. They had this whole thing planned. This is my mode of thinking at this point. I'm like 17, right? So I'm standing at the fence, <laughs> and here comes the car. You know, see the headlights cutting through the wooded area down the zigzag drive of the property, you know, coming to the fence, and they're just gunning it. Now, the closer it got, the more I started kind of like talking with myself going, what if it's really a ghost and you're the only dumbass standing here at the fence? Do you really want to take this chance? Because my cousin was already gone. He, he like he hauled butt back to the car, right? And he's yelling at me like, come on, come on. Nope, I want to see it. I want to see it. Car keeps coming, car keeps coming, and now it's coming towards the fence. And it's like a long strip. It's about probably about the length of a football field. Yeah. And it is gunning. I mean, you can hear this engine just roaring, and it's flying. I'm like, Nope, I'm done. <laughs> I turned around, jumped in the car, and we took off. So I never did find out if it was a ghost car or what, but <laughs> I'll never forget that moment as long as I live. It was definitely uh, intimidating at 17 years old. Now I would probably stick around to find out. I was going to say I'd probably be sitting there like, okay, let me make sure I'm not in the line here. I'll just stand back a little bit and let's just see. Yeah. Uh, there is a haunted orange grove. Oh, I can believe that. Yes, a haunted <laughs> orange grove. Yep, imagine that, a haunted orange grove in Tampa. Oh, wow. uh, this is over in the uh, Valrico area. Mm. Okay, and it's um, th- this orange grove, and uh, I can't think of the exact location, but it's over in Valrico. Uh, trust me, if you Google search haunted orange grove, it'll pop it up. Yeah. Um, allegedly, a woman had been kidnapped, dragged out there, and she had been violated and killed okay and so at nighttime there have been people in the general vicinity that live around this orange grove that they have heard this woman screaming out of nowhere at nighttime so here comes another story that involved me and my family <laughs> my sister had gotten into uh, some some issues and was having some problems i was like maybe 14 i think at the time so my mom and dad decided we lived in Sarasota. They want to go to Tampa to go check up on my sister, see what was going on. So we drive up there. 
my mom and dad, uh, this was an adult situation that I was to have no part of, so they decided to leave me with my sister-in-law, okay? My older brother was going with my mom and dad over to my uh, our sister's house, okay? So they leave me with my sister-in-law at my aunt's house. She lived by this orange grove. We're sitting there. We're talking. They tell me about that story. I'm 14 years old. I'm thinking, yeah, they're trying to scare me. Yeah, they're trying to scare me. That's all it is. And lo and behold, we start hearing the screaming. Now, mind you, majority of my family are southern, so they have guns. So first thing I did was ask my aunt. I'm like, do you have a gun? And she's like, yes. She goes and hands me this break-open 12-gauge shotgun, right? The old-timey that you break open and drop the two shells right. in the tube, you know, double barrel, right? So she hands me the shotgun. I'm like, well, some rounds would be nice <laughs> before I go out this door to go look around. Because this uh, back then, it wasn't that built up. So there was, like, a nobody really around us, you know, yeah. that you could yell for help or anything, right? So I'm looking out the door. And it's nighttime. Yeah, I mean, it had to be like maybe 10:30 at night, I guess. It's really, really dark out there, and the, and, the, and they had a big open yard. And my aunt drove a school bus at the time, right? So the old school bus out there. And I thought I heard the scream happen again behind the bus. Now I'm thinking, what if somebody's actually hurting someone out there? This is how stupid I am at 14 years old. I'm thinking I'm going to be the hero and go out there with a gun and see what's going on. So my aunt comes around the corner with the ammunition. I put my hand back. She hands it in my hand. I don't even look. I drop it in the tube. It slides down and hits the floor. She handed me these little twenty-two caliber bullets for a rifle to go into a 12-gauge shotgun. To put that in perspective, imagine having a garden hose and sliding a needle down it. It's about the same effect. It's going to slide right down the hose. Okay. So I just literally paused. Even at 14, yes, I had a mouth on me. I looked at her, and I was like, Really? What am I going to do? Do like high lie? I'm going to drop it in and just kind of fling the bullet at him? <laughs> you know? So I literally, at this point, hear the scream again. It's the third time. And mind you, my sister-in-law was there and my aunt. So I have witnesses to this. I sh- just went ahead and shut the shotgun. I ran out there, figured, well, at least scare them off, whoever it is. You know, yeah. hey, I got a gun. You need to leave. And my sister-in-law, I believe she was calling 911 at the time, too. So I go out there. Nothing. Can't find nobody. No nothing. And I swear, the scream sounded like it was coming, like, from maybe, like, just off the front door. Like, you know, like, you know, like, it had to be, like, right in, like, in the front yard. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Nobody. But you could hear this screaming noise coming from nowhere. Creepiest moment, probably, in my lifetime. Looking back on it now, as an adult, I would be willing to bet, uh, willing to bet it was a cat mating. Oh, and that's what we were hearing, the screaming sound. Yeah. As an adult looking back on it, I want to say, you know what? It wasn't a ghost. There's a lot of animals that sound like screaming people. Exactly. Like most famously foxes, but there are other yeah. ones as well. Cougars do it. Mm-hmm. Florida panthers do it. Matter of fact, if you're in the woods. Some birds do it. <laughs> yeah. If you're in the woods in Florida and you hear a woman screaming, I could tell you right now, there's a 99% chance it ain't a woman. It's a Florida panther nearby, and it's stalking you at that point. Yeah. yeah. You hear a woman pitch scream out there in the woods at nighttime in Florida? Yeah, just be, par- be prepared. <laughs> you know, if you're camping, get back into whatever you have for your little safe haven, and don't be out there roaming around the woods at dark. Because the closer, uh, basically the closer that it sounds, actually the further away it is. Hmm. It's mating and it's screaming loud, right? Yeah. You know, or it could be hunting. If all of a sudden it sounds like it's really far off, it might be closer than what you think. It's actually being quieter. It, yeah. th- it's something they do to throw their prey off. Yeah, I was about to say, yeah. like they're they're like, aha, now you're not so worried, and I'm gonna pounce you. Yep, they're actually extremely smart. It yes. is it is actually a hunting thing that they do. It's crazy. So uh, so anyway, so now we talked about you know Florida Panthers and how they can kill you. Yeah. <laughs> I'll talk to friends that are like in different countries or something and they'll ask they'll ask about like outrunning gators like you really learn how to like outrun a gator in florida i'm like yeah you just zigzag that's all exactly that's yeah yeah you learn how to do that when you're in florida dude me and jesse was just talking about this the other day my cousin and i up in georgia i was like oh god i went there to go visit when i was like i don't know early 20s Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And we were drinking quite heavily, not going to lie. Uh, and we were up there in the mountains. It was getting kind of cold out. So my cousin and a bunch of us, they, they had acres of land that they lived on, right? Yeah. So they decided to chop down a small tree and was going to just chop it up for more firewood because we're having a big bonfire, right? And it was, you know, starting to get low. My cousin gets out there. He is obliviated drunk. All right. He starts chopping this little tree with an axe. Yeah. Well, I don't want to say little, but I mean, it wasn't like a big oak tree. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it was, but it was like the size of a palm tree, a good sized palm tree, you know, maybe 15, 20 feet tall. Yeah. Chop, chop, chop. It starts to fall. He looks, he staggers left, staggers right, tries to outrun the tree. <laughs> and the tree literally just made him disappear. He got to the very end of the tree and the top end of it, boom, I mean, buried him in the snow. It took me probably 10 minutes to get up off the ground to help him because I was laughing so hard. He could have been dead, bleeding profusely. I was still crying laughing. I couldn't stop. So I, me and our other friends, we finally, you know, we go over there. We go to get this tree off of him, and we move it off. He was perfectly fine. He really was. You know, a little scratched up here and there, but nothing serious. And I looked at him, and I'm like, Dude, you only had to go left or right. That's all you had to do, left or right. You tried to outrun. Why? And he's like, I panicked. <laughs> that was the only answer he had. You learned um, that in elementary school. It's just immediate. Like. Yeah. And it's the same thing with, with an alligator. If yeah. an alligator is going to run at you, I mean, you know, because us being, you know, here in Florida, we know about this. Yeah. Zigzag. Because they, they can go, go fast, straight. Yeah. They, yeah. they go about the length of their body very, very quick. But they don't turn on a dime. They're not quick at all in that aspect. Just move to the left or right and zigzag. You'll be fine. Now, granted, I don't want you guys going out there and try to test this theory with an alligator. Yeah, We're just saying if you're ever in that position and you don't have a choice, zigzag. Don't try to outrun it. Because an alligator can spring up to about 25 miles an hour, like that quick. You know, a snap of a finger. Uh, Matter of fact, great white in the water. Mm -hmm. Uh, For as large as they are, they will spring up to 25 miles an hour in a hurry underwater. Yeah, they when they attack something, they hit like a train more than the actual mouth. Mm-hmm. What they do is that when they go to attack something from underneath, they come at a full speed using their body weight. They'll bite down hard, ramming into it, so mm-hmm. it takes the wind out of it. It's serrating with the teeth. Yeah. They'll shake back and forth violently oh, real yeah. quick, and then they let it go. And then they swim away from it. They wait for it to bleed out and get weak before they come back in to finish the job. So really, that's how a lot of large predatorial sharks actually hunt when they attack something. Um, It's it's a manner of using all of its velocity and size and all that. And, of course, the serrating. It's so funny. I hate to say this, but basically in a way, they're, they're kind of wimps because they won't try to fight it. They just want to wound it and leave quick. Exactly. Let it weaken. And then, even though it's going to kill you, regardless if you fought back, I mean, something that size, you know, but that's what they do. They hit, weaken, and then come back. So, anyways, enough of the, <laughs> enough of Animal Kingdom. I, know, I decided to be like, maybe we should talk about Ghost Shark. Right. So, yeah, all right. Ghost so, sharks. the most haunted hotel in Tampa Bay has been the Don Caesar Hotel. Built in 1928 at 3400. Gulf Boulevard at St. Pete Beach. Um, employees and guests see the ghost of owner Thomas Rowe and the love of his life, Lucinda. The couple met in London, but her parents split them up and sent her back to Spain. Thomas returned home and never saw her again. He built the pink palace to look like the one where they had met. He died in 1940, and now they can be seen walking hand in hand on the beach. I know a lot of people that have actually say the Don Cesar. I know people who have investigated the Don Cesar. Mm-hmm. They claim that they have seen them out there on the beach. They have actually seen. The, uh, the way they describe it is she is in a a long gown, but not like a ball gown or anything like that. Just mm-hmm. a really nice dress, and it just happens to be kind of long. Okay, oh, yeah. And then for him, he's wearing kind of like a... Uh, a three-piece suit with, like, you know, the, the breasted vest, you know, too. And I don't think they said he had a hat on. But, you know, looking down, you see these two very overly obviously dressed people from the beach at nighttime. And typically they said it happens only on foggy nights. Um, so I'm wondering if this, again, like we talked about before, beginning of the show, could be a residual haunt. There has never seemed to be any type of interaction that I'm aware of that nobody has ever brought up. Um, but people have, multiple people have seen sightings. There have been people that have laid out on the beach at nighttime. You know, they've been came back to their hotel room, little uh, inebriated from partying downtown in Tampa. You know, and this is actually at St. Pete Beach. It's not Tampa, so they get a little boozy. 
they go out there and, you know, try to hang out on the beach at nighttime, you know, talk with their friends or whatever, wind up falling asleep, waking up in the middle of the night saying that, yeah, I woke up, you know, because I felt like somebody was staring at me. And I see this couple just walking by in a really nice, expensive ball ground, and the guy's in an expensive suit. And they said the reason why that they thought, obviously, it was paranormal, not just like some wedding party coming back later or something, was the couple would turn, walk towards the water, and disappear. And they said not walk into the water, but just literally disappear right at the at the break line. Edge, yeah. yeah. So, and I've heard multiple stories uh, and reports on that one, too. Uh, matter of fact, it's in many, many, many haunted Florida books. Uh, the Don Cesaro, you'll, you'll see that in almost every single haunted Florida book that you find out there. Um, getting away from Tampa, there is a hotel in Key West that is definitively haunted and spooky. All right. <laughs> Here's the thing. I kid you not. It is a code in Key West that most of your buildings cannot be built taller than five stories. And do you want to know why? I assume something taller than five stories ended tragically. You got it. Because the likelihood of you dying from impact from a five-story building, yeah. over 80% of people survive a five-story fall. Mm-hmm. Anything higher than that, that drops way down way quick. Yeah. <laughs> so it was actually a code because a lot of people would come down there to stay at these hotels to kill themselves. Huh. So they basically made it a code, okay, no building taller than five stories. Yeah. Well, this one particular hotel right there on Duval Street uh, is, I forget how many stories, but it's definitely taller than, than five. Okay. Mm-hmm. So here's the thing. There was a, a young guy who was, worked for like the, the restaurant part of the bar and all that and everything in the hotel. And he would go around and do like clearing of the room service and all that in the hallways for the hotel rooms and stuff at nighttime. Yeah. So in one particular evening, he was up there at the, on the fifth floor. And he was pulling a cart that had, you know, it got really heavy from all the dishes and plates and everything that he had packed up. He was pulling it down the hall, and he hit the button for the elevator door. It opened up. He goes to step in. The elevator hadn't arrived. There was a fault with it. Hmm. So he stepped into the opening, started to fall, and, of course, reaction, he gripped the cart to keep from falling. So when he fell, his body weight made it roll. The cart came down on top of him. This guy hit the ground at the bottom of the shaft. Now, mind you, where that elevator is located, the restaurant is opening is like right there. Yeah. Okay, the the entrance to like the restaurant portion. This heavy, heavy, heavy cart with all these dishes and everything, just when it hit him, he basically exploded. All right, there was a lot of uh, human debris and blood that shot like out into yeah. the lobby area. <laughs> okay, nice. so. People now claim at nighttime that there has been many, many times that they have walked out of their hotel room, and here comes this young man pushing a cart, and they see him walk right towards the elevator doors and disappear. Hmm. And, like, with the doors being shut, they just goes right through it and gone. Yep. Uh, people have claimed at nighttime hearing the cart crashing in the elevator, you know, in the middle of the night. Uh, like kitchen staff working late, you know, doing cleanup after hours, and the restaurant's all done, getting prepared for the next day. Yeah, they claim they hear, like, you know, some, sometimes people have said they heard the scream come down the elevator shaft and hear the, like, cart exploding when it hit the ground. And, of course, there's nothing there, no damage, no nothing. Uh, it doesn't happen often, but people said, yes, it has happened a, a few times. Um, it's it's crazy. Um, you would be amazed, honestly, how many times people have slept in a hotel room and have no idea that somebody came in there and actually killed themselves. Oh, no, I can believe that. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Yeah. Because some people, you know, that, that get to that level of, you know, they're going to do it. Yeah. Sometimes they want to get away. They they don't want the family to find them, you know, so they travel out of town. They go to, a, you know, they know they're not going to pay for the bill, so they run up this expensive lodging at some really nice hotel or something somewhere. Yeah. And that's where, unfortunately, they do it, you know. And honestly, I'm not trying to make light of the situation. I'm just saying it's just a fact. This is what happens. Same when I was just like, no, I can believe that. I'm not, I'm not like. Yeah, yeah, we're not making fun of it. We're just saying that this is true. This does yeah. happen, you know. Um, and then there's times like too where people have just gone to hotel rooms and, you know, they're on vacation. They do a little too much partying and they wind up dying because of that. Yeah. Not because they were there to kill themselves, nothing like that. You know, they just, I don't know, they could have been taking medication along with their alcohol, whatever the case may be, and they died in a hotel room, you know. Yeah. And even old people, yeah. you know, just 
very old and elderly in their health and how are many, how many trying times? to get their last travel in, you know. So. How many times do you like for you like? Did I take this medication today? Uh, exactly. Somebody takes an extra one and then they have a drink and then yeah. Exactly, and more often than not, a lot of elderly actually die from overdosing from their medication, not because they're trying to commit suicide. Yeah. It's because of their mental faculties. They yeah. forget that they took the medication, or they think they took it and never did, mm. and so they're. You know, whatever is wrong with them physically gets worse, and then they leads into having a heart attack, stroke, whatever the case may be. Yeah. Uh, that's actually really, really common. Yeah, with the uh, unfortunately with people who are way up there, you know, elderly. Unfortunately, like with dementia patients, you yes. know, stuff like that. Yes. Uh, once again, not making fun of them. It's just a fact. It's what happens. You know, you ask any nurse or doctor, they'll tell you the same thing. So, anyways, moving on to more haunted locations and not killing killing our elderly. Uh, the Britain Theater in South Tampa on Del Mabry Highway is an old movie theater that is still open. Both employees and guests have reported unusual occurrences, even though no one died there. Imagine that. Doors in the ladies' room will shut and lock, and toilets flush when no one is there. Voices are heard in the hall near the auditorium number five late at night. An usher heard someone call his name in auditorium number three, and visions seen in the balcony. When they say visions, seeing the same thing as seeing an apparition, seeing a, a ghost, you know. I've had a lot of people ask me about hauntings, and they say, you know, well, what makes a haunting? Okay. There's there's theories all over the place, but there are three main theories of why a location becomes haunted. It's usually the location itself that the person who died is attracted to. It could be there is a person living there. That the person who died is attracted to. Or it could be there's an object at that location that the spirit is still attached to. So basically is a person, location, or object that the spirit will attract itself to that makes the haunting happen. Now, can does it mean like in this situation, no one ever died there? Why would they be haunting it? It could have been something somebody's seen one day passing by and maybe always dreamt. Think about this. Have you ever seen like a home? That you're like, God, I would love to live there. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, it could be an old log cabin you see out in the woods if you're an outdoor person, whatever the case may be. And that's your fantasy of, like, where do you want to live? This particular location could have been some type of an attraction for the person or people who passed away. And that's why they went there. So, at the end of the day, there is no experts. There is nobody that can give a definitive location on why the hauntings happen. Mm. Or if they're even hauntings. I'll be straight up honest with you. I know so many paranormal teams will define what a ghost is. We don't know. Yeah. Nobody knows. We don't even know, honestly, at the end of the day, and I will admit this straight out, and I am a paranormal investigator. I've done it for years for going out and looking at hauntings. We don't even know if ghosts are even real. Yeah. We could be chasing around our imaginations all the time out there in the dark. We don't know. But there have definitely been really weird things that have happened and that we have seen and heard at certain locations they make us question what happened. Why is this, you know, certain situation happening? Why is it that I see great Aunt Bertha sitting at the end of my couch and talking to me? <laughs> you know, why, why are these dishes being flung out in the front yard with nobody, you know, standing there and physically throwing it? Um, so that's the reason why paranormal investigators go out and do what they do. Anybody who tells you that they know precisely what a ghost is and what causes a haunt, this, that, and the other, that's just what they've heard or it's a theory that they believe in. I'm just going to put it at that. And I'm not saying they're right or wrong. Don't get, don't get the wrong idea. I'm just saying that that's all in theory. I can't, from the bottom of my heart, look anybody in the face and go, ghosts are real. I don't know. I've investigated a lot of strange crap. That's all I know. And I couldn't find a definitive answer for what caused it. You know, some of it, actually a majority of it, yes, I have found a definitive answer, and it wasn't a ghost. It was perfectly normal scientific reasonable explanations for what was causing that particular thing to happen that looked like a paranormal event all right sometimes it's something that's perfectly normal happening but the person's imagination overrides themselves and they think it's paranormal and no it wasn't paranormal at all it was this what happened and you just mistook it because you're scared you know to be honest you know it, it the mind has a way of dealing with with it what it doesn't understand is to fear it and that's what happens you know, the, they heard a voice in the home and they thought nobody was there. And the fear kicked in and said, it's a ghost. No, you just happened to hear the neighbor next door talking very, very loudly. And it just sound like from echo effect, it came in your living room. So, anyways, uh, we're going to be closing out the show now. 
And uh, make sure you guys tune in next week. We're going to be bringing on our buddy, uh, Richard. He's going to be talking about his Ouija boards. And it's going to be cool. You're going to like it. Y'all have a good weekend. Bye. Through the dark streets they go searching to see God in their own way. Save the night time for you weeping. receiving the first dose. I'm Ben Thomas.